Welcome to the Everyman Livestream. My name is Jeremy and I'll be your host today. Now, if you're new to the live stream, welcome. You're part of a larger community of thousands of men around the world gathering around this study to get in, get healthy, get strong, and get going as a men they're called to be. Now, you happen to be joining us for a powerful and challenging series called The Red Letter Warnings. And today, we're in part four. Now, as the title implies, all words in our lives are not equal, especially when you're a follower of Christ. When he issues a warning, the smart man pays attention and responds. Now, to get you ready for today's study, I have a simple question for you. If you knew in advance that someone important was coming to your house, let's say the president or, or a celebrity or maybe some important family guests and they're all coming over for a party, would you take the time to get ready for their arrival? What would you do or what would your mindset be if you knew they were coming? Now that is the theme of today's red letter warning. Someone is coming. But before we dive into today's study, think about all your friends who you want to encourage and bless with a powerful word from Jesus. Take a moment and share the study with them right now. Trust me, they will want to talk after they hear from God's word today. Now, let's go to men's expert and pastor, Kenny Luck, live from Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California, for part four of the Red Letter Warnings. Morning, guys. If you have a Bible, you want to uh, hold a spot in Luke chapter 12. We're continuing uh, our series uh, called the Red Letter Warnings, and uh, if you're just joining us, uh, the idea of the red letter warnings is in the world of communications, you can have conversations, you can have recommendations, and you can have warnings, right? Conversations are like, I'm just freely sharing my thoughts, there's a free exchange of ideas, we're just talking, right? And then there's recommendations, where you say to somebody that you care about, hey, if I were you, you might want to consider, right? And then you kind of elevate the, the conversation to kind of a new level, and your urgency is a little bit higher. And then in the world of conversations, there's warnings, and that's when someone's speaking the truth or reality that there's big consequences if you don't listen. Like, don't do that, all right? Don't touch that, right? And uh, what we're saying is that all words in our lives and relationships are not equal, okay? We assign some words more weight, more urgency. And in the Bible, uh, most Bibles uh, have an Old and New Testament, and in the Old Testament, it's black and white. And in the New Testament, you get a color. And the color is red. And those red letters represent the words of Jesus. Uh, we find them in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And um, of all the words that men hear, of all the words that men of faith hear, right, the red letter should carry way more weight in your life. And in, in, in Jesus' continuum of conversations, recommendations, truths, promises, commands, when you hear Jesus speak a warning, uh, you should lean in and really pay attention. The same way you would listen to someone who's giving you a warning just in your regular life, uh, because God's talking. Jesus is God. And when God is talking and he reveals something, it's not for consideration or debate or discussion. It's for application. And so in part one, we looked at the warning against self-sufficiency. I'm the vine, you're the branch. Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? That, that's a good warning, right? In part two, we looked at the warning against religiosity. 
They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are, are far from me. They have a public expression of faith in me, but privately, their hearts are far from me. They're religious, but they're not really spiritual, right? In part three, we, we looked at the warning against denying your identity in Christ. If you confess me before a man, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. You deny me before a man, I deny you before my Father in heaven. It's like what you, whatever Jesus' importance is to you on earth will be your importance to Jesus when you get to heaven, right? It's a really strong, firm, real, but authentic warning. And then in part four today, we're going to talk about the warning to be ready. Jesus talks about uh, being ready, and we're going to define exactly what that is. And what we're going to do is we're going to do what we've done every time we've had uh, a red letter warning session. And that is we're just going to raise the value of listening. We're training ourselves to assign more weight to Jesus's words. And so we begin each session kind of just looking at that in scripture. And then we're going to unpack Jesus's warning. And then we're going to uh, try to make some application. But to start today's red letter warning, uh, I just was reminded about in how in our home, uh, listening was a big deal. If you're a parent, listening is a big deal. Uh, parents use different means and measures to get their kids to listen. Amen? Amen. You know, anybody who's had a kid knows, you know, there's, there's prizes, there's rewards, there's bribing, uh, there's fear, there's control, there's anger, there's posturing. You know, I call it there's grizzly bearing, you know, where, you know, grizzly bears like this and it's like, you know, you're going you're gonna to listen to me. Right, but in, in our home, first time listening was a big deal, because if my kids don't know how to listen to authority in the home, uh, they won't be under authority in other areas of their life, and they won't be under authority with God. And so, in our home, first time listening was a big deal, and the reason was is I knew that my kids would pay a price. Um, uh, they'll pay a price if they don't know how to listen to authority and. And then if they don't know how to listen to me at home, then society pays a big price, you know, if my kids don't know how to listen. Well, in the Bible, listening is a big deal for the same reason. There's a history, especially when there's a history, especially when you read the Old Testament, of there's God, his people, he says things, they don't listen, they pay a price. Uh, there's God, his people, he says things, they don't pay attention, they pay a price. And I just, I just kind of cherry-picked one of those instances uh, from the book of Zechariah, it says this, and this is God talking, but did your ancestors listen? No, they set their jaws in defiance. They shut their ears. They steeled themselves against God's revelation and the spirit-filled sermons preached by the earlier prophets by order of God of the angel armies. And God became angry, really angry, because he told them everything plainly, and they wouldn't listen to a word he said. So this is what God of the angel armies said. If they won't listen to me, I won't listen to them. I scattered them to the four winds. They ended up strangers wherever they were. The promised land became a vacant lot, weeds and tin cans and thistles, not a sign of life. Let's finish it together. They turned a dreamland into a wasteland. Wow. All right. So that kind of makes our point, doesn't it, this morning? There's God. There's his kids. They're part of his family. He says something. They don't listen. And they pay a price. Uh, now, in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul reflects on all of those Old Testament experiences in history. He kind of has a reflective look back on it. It's like, why do we have uh, these narratives, the historical narratives of God working with people? 
all right? Why are they there, and what does it mean to us as believers in Jesus? Well, in 1 Corinthians 10, he tells us exactly why those stories are there and narratives are there in the Old Testament. He says, these are all warning markers, danger in our history books, written down so that we don't repeat their what? Mistakes, right. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. Let's finish it together. Don't be so naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence, right? So there's an assigning of, of weight and value, not to your own opinions, not to your own thoughts, not to your own ways of doing things, but there's an encouragement to go, hey, study the loss, all right? That's what good battle commanders do. If they're going into a battle, they're like, okay, who was here before? Who won? Who lost? Why did they win? Why did they lose? I mean, watch the movie, We Were Soldiers, and you'll get a picture of that, all right? But Paul is saying, hey, that's there for us. It's written down so that we don't repeat those mistakes, and instead of kind of separating yourself uh, from them, put yourself in their shoes. Our positions are parallel uh, to them, and we can repeat those mistakes, and so let's unpack that for a second. Um, and kind of get some truths out of that, and then we'll go into the, the red letter warning. First, not listening to God brings a response from God. Write that down. Not listening to God brings a response from God. That was true in my family. It's true in God's family. It's true in every healthy family. You don't listen to the parents, you're going to get, there's a consequence uh, to that. Number two, not listening to God borrows sorrow. You see, the Bible talks about how when God chooses to reveal something, it's not just to control you, it's because he knows better and he has your best interest in mind. Amen? Yeah, God knows better and he has your best interest in mind. And we would, we would, we would respond that way in normal relationships if somebody knew more than we did. Like my, my buddy Jeff's in the room, you know, he, he, is, he is the most skilled handyman in my life and when issues come up in the Luck household, you know, it's like... Speed dial to Jeff. And basically, I just kind of listen and hand him tools and kind of watch, and he kind of tries to train me to fish. I'm not a really good student, but he tries, all right? But I listen uh, to Jeff, right? And if, and if I try to do it, and if I don't listen to him, I'm going to mess it up. But not listening to God, that's, that's like here. You're going to borrow sorrow. Who likes to borrow trouble? And yet we do it. We kind of give God the Heisman and we borrow our own sorrow because he told us something. We didn't heed the warning and then we pay the price. Third, not listening to God begins and ends with pride. It begins and ends with pride. It's the creator telling, the created telling the creator, thanks but no thanks. All right? It's the, the branch telling the vine, I got this. It's the clay saying to the potter, why did you make me? It's the sheep saying to the shepherd, hey, thanks for the leadership and the direction, but I don't need it anymore, all right? And pride says to God, write this down, I know better. Pride says to God, I know better. So God will let you, all right, borrow trouble. He'll let you borrow sorrow. If in pride, you're him now little g, and you're in control, uh, he'll let you do that. But just don't expect him to cooperate with your folly. 
All right? That's why it says in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says this. Let's read it together. God goes against the willful proud, but gives grace to the willing humble. Circle willful proud and willing humble. You're in one of two buckets today. And whatever bucket you're in, you have your own set of consequences or blessing. Okay? So we did what we've done every time. We're raising the value of what it means to pay attention, to listen, to assign urgency to the words of God. All right? So now let's look at the next red letter warning. And it's the warning to be ready. Ready for what, Kenny? Ready for Jesus' coming. Jesus is going to come for you. Or Jesus is going to come to you. But just mark my words, it's going to happen. We don't know when we're going to go to God, or we don't know when God's going to come to us. But Jesus talks in the New Testament multiple, multiple, multiple times. He says two words, be ready. All right? And so we need to look at one of those instances in Luke chapter 12. I want us to read this passage together, and uh, then we're going to unpack what Jesus is saying. All right? Let's start Luke 12, 35 to 40. Let's read it together. Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night, or just before dawn. But whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time. For the Son of Man will come when you least expect. Wow. So those are pretty clear words, right? It's a mindset. It's not an event. It's, you know, the servant and the master, and the servant has a mindset of readiness to receive the master. The master's going to come, and and, and it might surprise the servant uh, when he does come. And so Jesus paints four pictures, and these are really important, all right? In line one, sentence one, he says, be dressed for service. What does that mean? Well, you know, guys didn't wear pants in those days. They wore cloaks and robes, all right? And if you needed to be mobile and agile, you had to actually move your clothing around to get mobile and agile. You actually had to tuck in, have a, have a little rope. You had to lift up your robe, and you had to tuck it in. And to be dressed for service, there's, there's be dressed for service, and there's be dressed for casual, right? And so you had to take up your robe and get it into a position to where you could be ready to move at any particular time, all right? So that's what dress for service means. Write that down. Ready to move, right? You're ready. You're like in the ready position. You know in athletics there's a ready position. doesn't matter what the sport is. It all emanates from here, right? You're ready to shoot. You're ready to jump. You're ready to tackle. You're ready to shoot, right, in wrestling, all right? Ready to move. That's what being dressed for service means. Then there's lamps burning, all right? Jesus says, be dressed for service, and keep your lamps burning. You might have remembered in the, in the Gospels where Jesus tells the parable of the virgins waiting for the groom to come, and some have oil in the lamps, and others don't have oil in the lamps, and then the groom comes, and the ones who didn't plan and get more oil in their lamps are begging the ones who have oil, hey, let us borrow some of your oil, and guess what? There's no borrowing oil in the moment. 
either you got oil in your lamp or not, and the oil represents being ready. Well, in this passage, it says, keep your lamps burning, and the same concept applies. It's expecting a nighttime visitor, and you need your lamps burning. Why? Because you have to be ready to see, all right? So that's what lamps burning means. It means you got, you're ready to see. There's no electricity back then. You had to have a supply of oil, and, you had, and, and G, what Jesus is saying is you have to have a supply of readiness, right? Because he's either coming to you or coming for you. Third, there's servants waiting. And uh, what a servant knew is that if the master kind of took up and said, hey, you know, it's the, uh, it, it's the Joan Smith wedding, uh, and I'm going to that wedding, it's like days. But you never know when the master's going to come back, and so... The servants needed to be ready to greet and meet and start serving the master right away. And so when Jesus is talking about serving, servants waiting, that means be ready to greet and serve. We need to be ready to greet and serve our master. When he comes for us, we got to be ready to greet him. we got to be ready to see him. we got to be ready to move. And we got to be ready to serve him. And then there's this kind of funny one at the end. There's a burglar invading, right? And it's all about advanced knowledge. If you have advanced knowledge, you get ready. And so Jesus is saying, hey, you know, if there's a burglar and you knew exactly when the burglar was coming, you'd take defensive measures, right? Well, what Jesus is saying is like, well, if you know I'm coming, then you better take some offensive measures. And you need to get yourself ready, and that's, uh, burglar invading is you're ready and anticipating. So everybody say this with me, ready to move, ready to see, ready to greet and serve, ready and anticipating. Yeah, that's Jesus' warning, you know, because the Bible says that this life is a vapor. We think it's longer than we think it is just because we're in the day-to-day. -day. We're in the mundane. We're waking up, putting on a pants, doing the same thing we did, and we think this time is so long. Actually, it's so short, and and what you got to understand, guys, is that earth is preparation for eternity, right? Your heaven is determined, your quality of your heaven is determined by this little short time on earth, and what Jesus is trying to help us out, and just say, hey, be ready. So now let's go to how to be ready. How do you get ready for Jesus to come to, uh, to us or for us? First, to be ready, he must be my master, you know, you notice in, the, in a lot of what Jesus says, it's master and servant, okay? One is under the other, right? One's in the A position, one's in the B position. And specifically what I mean by that is that Jesus isn't just your savior where he's just going to come and rescue you from hell or from an eternity separated from God, all right? But he's your Lord, you know, it's in, in kind of like Christianese, you know, it's like, well, I'm in the relationship because I have fire insurance, you know, I want to make sure my sins are forgiven and I have a home in heaven. It's way more than that, right? It's way more than just guaranteeing your future. It's changing your present. And when it comes to changing your present, Jesus isn't just your Savior who rescues you and brings you to heaven. He's your Lord. What does that mean? It means that he rules and reigns in your life. Say that with me. He rules and reigns in my life. That means when he speaks, that's it. And that's why I've been saying all words in your life are not equal. All words in your life are not eternal. All words in your life are not empowered 
to transform you, and all words in your life don't end a matter, but Jesus' words do. Amen? And that's how the man of God lives. There's master and there's servant. Now, just to kind of dial in his followers about this, where Jesus is my Savior, but he doesn't have to be my Lord, which means that, you know, I can decide and compartmentalize which parts of what he says I believe and which parts I don't, which commands I do obey and which ones I don't, all right? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, kind of shoots one across the bow, all right? It's like, hey, let's get this relationship straight, all right? And I want us to read that together. Matthew 7, 21 to 23, ready? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Wow. It's kind of like disputing the claim where publicly we're in the right places, we're doing the right things, but in our hearts we're far from God. And the way we know it is our level of obedience to Christ. Now, let me just say this. You can't be 100% sure you're going to heaven. Why? Because we live by faith. But the best assurance that you can have is your level of obedience to Christ. That's your best assurance. You know, it shows that you love him. That's what Jesus said. The one who loves me keeps my commands, and I will love him too. And he says it over and over and over and over again. Okay? And what I love about this is that it, it's very plain. Just like Jesus' promises are plain, Jesus' truths are plain, Jesus' commands are plain, Jesus' warnings are very plain, then it demands kind of a plain response that, you know, you can fool yourself, but you can't fool him. And these are the, these are the posers right here. He says, I, I'll, I'll tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So publicly, they were religious. Privately, they were evildoers. And men, if that convicts you, it should. It should. Because it's the claim versus the reality, all right? And, and Jesus is going to call it out. So um, he, we have to be ready to get ready for him he has to be our master. What does that mean? That means he rules every dimension of our lives. Amen? Not some dimensions. We don't compartmentalize. We don't say, well, Jesus knows everything about 90% of the things in my life, and this 10%, I know everything. That's not how it works, all right? It's called compartmentalizing, but we're really good at it. We're really good at it. Men live out of boxes. It's kind of like, well, this is my box, this box of life. This is my relationship box of my life. This is my work box of my life. Oh, this is my ethical part of my life. And we kind of take out the box, and then we open it up, and we live out of it. And, but that doesn't work in the spiritual life. It's all his. It's, he's the Lord of all. Amen? He's the Lord of all. So if you're here this morning, and you have a part of your life that Jesus isn't the Lord of your life, can I encourage you from Jesus' own words to make him the Lord, capital L, of that area? What does that mean? It means get his mind on that subject and begin doing what he says in that area now, right? That's your best assurance, right, that he is Lord. Because in the passage, it says, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, right, will uh, 
Not everyone who says that will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who obeys the will of my Father. I'm going to camp on this one more, with one more point. When Jesus' blood family came to see him and there was a big crowd, someone whizzled through the crowd and said, hey, your mom and your brothers and your sisters are here. And then Jesus stands up, addresses everybody and says, who is my mother, brother, sister, and father? He says the same thing that he says here. The one who does the will of my father is my mother, brother, sister, and father. You know what that, that translates to? Obedience to Jesus was thicker than blood. What makes you a follower of Christ and a part of God's family is that you act like your brother king who lives in you. And what did Jesus do on earth? He obeyed the will of the Father. So that's your best assurance, fellas. Why? Because we walk by faith. And do we have a lot of assurances in the Bible? Sure we do. But the best assurance is to do the will of the Father. So what does that look like in real time? In Colossians chapter 3, it says this. Uses some uh, mild language. Put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then here's some examples. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off, let's finish it together. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Now, is Jesus saying perfection? Is the Bible saying perfection? Absolutely not. You are going to stumble. The Bible says the righteous man falls seven times but rises again. The question is, are you at war with the chump inside of you? Are you, do you feel the war? That's actually the better question. It's not, am I perfectly living out the Christian life? Or am I perfectly obeying all the commands of Jesus? It's, but are you at war? We're all in spiritual battle of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. Is that a battle, yes or no? 100%. That's right. It's flesh versus spirit. It's world versus word. It's culture versus Christ. We're in this spiritual Vietnam until we get to God, and we're fighting, and we're at war, and we're putting aside the old self, and we're putting on the new self, which is in the image of Christ. That's God's vision for you, is that you are uh, becoming like him on a progressive basis, right? That's the mission of the Holy Spirit in your life. So if you want to know if I'm getting ready, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to be ready, I have to make Jesus my master. And part of making Jesus my master, not just my savior, but my Lord, is that I have an inverse relationship with sin. Sin put Jesus on the cross. Say that with me. Sin put Jesus on the cross. That's why the follower of Jesus has an adversarial relationship with sin, because sin put Jesus, your Lord and savior, on the cross. And so why am I a party to the very thing that crushed Jesus? That's heavy, man. But that's the reality. And so there should be a relationship where it's like, oh, man, no, the, oh, I got to wake up. And that's why there's always a call to repentance, all right? Repent. All that means is change your mind about that thing. 
You know that area of your life where you've just allowed it to go on and on and on in your life, and you know it's wrong, you know what God's Word says, but you're just like, well, I will never change, and you make up all these excuses and rationalizations and justifications. You know what that's called? Baloney, from the Greek word baloney. It's just you deceiving yourself. You know one of the greatest deceptions is self-deception. It's when you lie to yourself to continue a pattern of thinking and living. I've done it. You've done it. We've all done it, right? But we're borrowing sorrow. So be ready by making Jesus your master. Second, to be ready, I must be his servant. That's a picture that is replete throughout the New Testament. There's master and there's servant. There's student or there's teacher and there's student. We are his followers. But you know what's so interesting about Christianity today? Because we live in a consumer culture, it's not about us following Jesus. It's about Jesus following us. And it's so upside down and unbiblical. You know, it's where we're as, com- we're, we're as close to Jesus as we're comfortable with. You know, and then the rest of it, you know, that's just out there. Right? That's not how it works. Jesus said, if any man come after me, he must deny who? himself, take up his cross and follow me. That means that something, something and somebody's going to die, all right? And that's your old self is going to die and the new self is going to be uh, coming to life in Christ. So I must be his servant. That's your new identity. Uh, Jesus said to his guys kind of along, uh, along the theme of having this mindset and attitude about yourself. He said, Jesus said to them, his guys, just like this, He said, the kings of the Gentiles, or the kings of culture, all right, let's put it that way. The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Now, here's where, whenever you see a a but in the Bible, lean in, right? It says, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who what? Serves, right? Let's finish it together. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? So you want to be ready for Jesus? You're never more like Jesus and ready for Jesus than when you're serving Jesus and serving people. You want to be ready? Be serving someone else. Right? You're a follower of God. Make him the Lord of your life in addition to being the Savior. Have an adversarial relationship with sin. Do what he says. Obedience is thicker than blood. Secondly, have the identity of a servant. Now, Jesus is comparing and contrasting. He goes, this is how culture does it. This is how, how I do it. Right? And, and isn't it like culture that when you have influence and power, people serve you? Right? But I am among you as one who serves. Who are you among? In your life, think about it right now. Who are you among? In your family? your marriage, at your workplace, your neighbor. You know, I've said this before, I'll say it again. You know, words that should be coming out of your mouth, if you want to be ready for Jesus, is this when you're in the context of people. What do you need? What do you need? How you doing? You need anything? The, the message is, how can I serve you? What do you need? Whether it's your children, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's a fiance, it doesn't matter. You want to be really ready for Jesus? Be serving other people. Figure it out, all right? That's why at Crossline, I love the the men's community here at Crossline. We have servant leaders. That's what we call you. Jesus was a leader, 
His guys assigned him the title of leader, Savior and Lord, but he descended into greatness. He was the servant king. Think about that one for a while. Blows your mind, right? And that's how you get ready. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, in case you forget, you know, they're servant and master. Back in Jesus' day, you were, a, you were his property. If you, had a, if you were a servant and you had a master, there was a, a transaction that happened that that contractually made you mine, right? And Jesus uh, talked in this language because people got it. They were set free by Jesus from man, but the master of their liberty was Jesus, right? So look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Let's read it together. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your, with your bodies. He's got the whole thing. Your body is everything. It's your brain, it's your energy, it's your skills, it's everything, right? That's why it says in Romans, present yourself a living sacrifice, because this is your reasonable service of worship. That means we surrender it all to Christ, and that's what a servant does. We release authority in our lives to the master, capital M, right? Don't let anything else be your master. Don't let your appetites be your master, don't let wealth be your master. Don't let power be your master. Don't let the next sensation or thrill be your master. Don't let anything else be your master, but let Jesus be your master, capital M. Amen? Because when you do that, you'll be ready for his coming. All right? Number three, to be ready, I must be expecting him. That's kind of the, the picture in all of these conversations. It's just like, his servants live with an expectation. Man, when's the master going to come for me? When's he going to come? When's he going to come? He's at the wedding feast. He's away for a while, but he's coming back. And, and there's sort of that, you know, kind of that low-level, healthy uh, angst uh, that's positive in the relationship. It's like, well, he's coming home. I don't know exactly the time he's coming home, but guess what? The house is going to be ready, and I'm going to be ready for that moment. Right? There's going to be oil in the lamp. I'm going to be dressed for service. He's told me in advance. He's coming back. Right? Look at what it says in Luke 12, 37. It's right out of that first conversation. Let's read it together. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. Right? They're going to be rewarded. And, and in the conversation, when Jesus is talking, he flips it. And he says, you know what? If you're ready and waiting, guess what? I'm going to put on an apron. I'm going to start serving you. Whoa, but it's because they were ready, and there's this joy, there's this mutual, like, I'm ready for you, Jesus. You know, it's, 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 you guys are probably like me. You're just like, some days you're just like, okay, Lord, I'm ready. Get me out of here. Heaven's got to be better than this, right? But between now and then, okay, between now and then, between this moment and when that moment comes, we're going to be ready. How? Well, we're going to make Jesus our master. We're going to be his servant, and we're going to be expecting him. I love this passage from Titus 2, 11 through 13, because it, it kind of it has everything I've been talking about all in one verse. I want us to read this together. Ready? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. 
It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Kind of has the whole thing. Salvation, continuation, sanctification, and then ultimately celebration which is the culmination of salvation. And there's this journey that we take. And we're all, if you, if you know the Lord, you're on that journey. And I love the language, you know. It, it talks about Jesus being Lord. He's master, and my, he's my master and Lord. It says, salvation teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's obedience. So salvation and continuing in your salvation and working out your salvation isn't a have to. It's a want to. Amen? Your life is a thank you to Jesus for what he did. Obedience is a thank you. It's, it's something that you want to do, right? And salvation teaches you to say no to the world and yes to the world and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait, all right? And so when the Bible talks about while you're waiting, it's this active waiting, okay? There's passive waiting and there's active waiting. The Bible talks about active waiting. It's like, I'm getting myself ready, right? Jesus is my master. I have a, I have a I'm getting sin out and I'm, I'm, I'm putting more spirit in, less flesh, more spirit, all right? I'm, I'm actively waiting. He's coming, he's coming. I'm waiting for him to come in, but before he comes, I'm gonna get this house ready, my life. And then it says, live self-controlled and upright lives, okay, in the present age. And you're, so you're make, being a servant, you're being godly, you're serving, and then it happens. <laughs> then the blessed hope comes, comes to us or it comes for us, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, guys, as your pastor, I'm supposed to get you ready for that moment. And that's why we speak plainly the word of God. We don't sugarcoat it. I don't confront you. I don't comfort you. I just challenge you to live in response to the red letters. Okay, because you're going to be glad you did. Amen? Amen. And we all want to high five, and we all want to do the end zone dance in that moment where it's going to be like, oh, man, it was so worth it. So worth it. All right? So why be ready? Peter, as Peter does in this little group of guys, Peter, as Peter does, uh, as the conversation continues, he's like, uh, Lord, it's right there on your notes. It's uh, verses 41 to 46. Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone, right? The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. Now let's finish it together. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Hello! Now there's plain speak, right? And... You go, wow, Jesus, again, is telling us in advance. So, hey, Peter, yeah, 
You don't want to be that guy. It's for you. This, this word is for you. And the Bible promises that when we respond to the word of Christ with action and obedience, something cool happens. It's not just that I'm a servant obeying my master. I move from being a servant to a friend because Jesus is telling us everything. Right? Servants only get transactional information, but you know, when Jesus is talking to his guys, he says, I no longer call you servants. I'm calling you friends because I've told you everything. The question is, are you going to move from just kind of a transactional servant who hears a message like this and says, oh, I have to change my act, or do you want to become a friend and where it's a willingness, it's a, it's a camaraderie, it's a relationship that's blessing you, and in the process, you're getting ready to meet your friend and master and savior and king. So this is an important red letter warning, right? Uh, there's an inevitability to what I'm talking about this morning, and we might be caught up in the weeds of our mundane and regular work life or just our regular life, but God wants to say to you, be ready. In the midst of your life, be living your life for me, Right? Let me be the master of your life. You can be my servant, okay? And you can live out your identity as my servant. Right in your context, you don't have to do anything special. You don't have to change where you live or your neighborhood or your job. You just need to express my character in conduct exactly where you are. And you're going to be ready. Amen? Amen. All right, let's bow our heads. Let's ask God to do that in and through our lives. God, thank you for your word. Jesus, thank you that you're so plain and clear. Thank you that you want our relationship with you to function the right way. You're the master. And some of us right now in this moment need to confess that you're the master and that I'm the servant. And yet, Jesus, you want it to be so much more than transactional. You want it to be relational. You want to move us from just being your servant to being a friend. And you're telling us everything in advance so that we can actually enjoy getting ready. It's a joy that you're my master. It's a joy to serve you. And it's a joy to expect you because we're not only servants, but we're friends. And so help us to be great friends to you today just like we would be a great friend to someone else, by just thinking about you, by getting ready. Jesus, we know that being with you is better than being on earth. And yet, in between now and when that moment comes, Lord, we pray that we would do whatever it takes. Maybe that's what some of you need to say to Jesus right now. Whatever it takes, Jesus. Whatever it takes. Whatever step of faith it takes. Whatever hard decision it takes. Lord, I'm ready and willing to do whatever it takes today to get ready. Jesus, fill us with your spirit. We can't do it on our own power. You're the vine, we're the branch. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us today. We ask you to fill us. We ask you to control us. And we ask you to empower us to get ready for the King who is coming. In Jesus' name we ask. And God's men said. Amen. We had some very notable members of the fire department step up and say, I was suicidal.
another guy said, I was struggling with post-traumatic stress. And all of a sudden we started talking about it. By not talking, we were killing ourselves. But by simply talking, which for a guy is so hard to, to open up and just really share what's on your heart and your mind because you think you're the only one struggling with it. And, and in reality, we had, well, all of us were struggling with it.